Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer in episode 102 of the Speaking Club podcast. An underperforming salesman was called into his boss's office. When asked about his figures, the salesman said, Look, I've been doing all I can, every trick in the book. But it's like they say, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. His boss said, I think that's the trouble right there. Because your job isn't to make the horse drink, it's to make it thirsty. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Welcome to the show. I'm absolutely thrilled to have Diane Bannister join me on this episode. And Diane's got over 25 years experience helping companies get more sales. And my hope is that by listening to this episode, you will have picked up some gems to help you get more sales too. Diane and her company Intelligent Dialogue run development courses in sales and customer service that leave participants buzzing and with a smile on their face. In this episode, we're going to cover off why and how you can reframe sales if you struggle to get comfortable with it. You're also going to get some tips on how to reach decision makers and the mistakes people make around pricing their products or service and lots more too. If you want to get more speaking gigs or grow your business, then make sure you listen closely as this is going to be right up your street. Before we crack on, I just want to say thank you once again for choosing the show. And I also want to ask you, if you enjoy The Speaking Club and you haven't already, please could you take a couple of minutes to leave a review for the show on iTunes? If you've already done that, then thank you so much because it really helps us get found by other people who may be looking for help. Coolio, right, that's it. Let's head over now to my chat with Diane. Diane Bannister, welcome to the Speaking Club podcast. Sarah Archer, it's very <laughs> nice to be here. Smashing. Good, I've been looking forward to this. Now, I, I know you quite well, but I don't probably, haven't fully explored all the experience you've got. So this is a great opportunity for me to find out more and also to get you to share these golden nuggets with, with the audience today. So, first of all, how did you get into what you do today? Well, I was in my first sales job. Yeah. Um, I'd landed this job and uh, it was in the city of London. Yeah. And we were literally given a briefcase, a pile of leaflets, a list of people to go and see. And that was the training we got. And that was the Monday morning we kind of pushed out the door. And I was clueless. I didn't have a clue about what we were doing, how to approach it. And it was really painful. It was really horrible going to see all these solicitors and brokers and people in the city of London and then they set up a new team that we all got drafted into and it was a very controversial kind of high profile team and we had to perform we had to succeed and we were working long hours we were having a good time but we were pretty clueless certainly I was pretty clueless so you know I was working seems like all the hours God sends but I wasn't really getting any results and then they decided to bring in someone to work with us and train us 
And that training program had such an impact on me. I can still remember it. And I'd still draw on stuff, you know, 30 odd years later, I'm still drawing on stuff that I learned then. And that had such an impact on me. I knew that 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 was what I wanted to get involved in. Because suddenly we had, you know, we had a way to structure a conversation. We had a way to go about organizing our time. And we were getting results. And it felt so different from before where we were working hard, but hadn't been getting the results. Had you always wanted to go into sales or was the sales <laughs> job an accident? Do you know anybody at school who <laughs> says that they want to be in sales? I mean, people don't, do they? It's not, it's not a career that anybody would go into. No, I had been working in the Metropolitan Police dealing with complaints against police officers. Ah. which is where I met my husband we sat opposite each other I was a a maternity leave replacement and when I walked into the office she leant across the desk to Paul and said you're not going to have much fun with her (laughs) Um, (laughs) and because we started going out together we couldn't work together and as I was the last in I and actually I wasn't wedded to that job in the way that Paul was I took another job and it just happened to be a sales job so no, and it wouldn't be anything that was on my radar at all. But it was for a, a building society, a, a kind of bank hero in the UK. It would have been seen, this was late 80s, that would have been seen as a good job. And so I took it and yeah. I kind of fell into it by accident. Did you have any preconceptions about sales before you went into that job? No, I think when I've made kind of big choices to move jobs or move careers people would say that I've been brave but actually I've probably not done my homework I've just got you know I've just jumped into something yeah um when I can remember when we suddenly got our sales targets and that was a bit frightening because it's it's very black and white in sales you perform or you don't yeah um, whereas in other jobs perhaps it's a little there are more gray areas and I remember being a bit freaked out by that but overall it was you know it was a good job it was good money it was a time when I was growing and developing so I just thought let's give it a go brilliant okay and now from the work you do today because I mean you basically your company intelligent dialogue coaches runs workshops coaches courses on sales and other stuff but you know I guess I've come across lots of issues of people sort of have with selling and I wondered what have you come across and you know what are the sorts of issues that come up for people that you encounter? Yeah, and it's as I said, nobody wants a career in sales, do they? And I think people see selling as bad. You know, we often get that. We we work with reluctant salespeople, people who've been asked to do a sales role um, because we work with sales or customer service people when times are tough companies often get customer service people on the phone or give them an extra kind of sales activity so we often work with what I would call reluctant salespeople, and they're worried about selling they don't want to be seen as being pushy Mm. because that is against their personality or at the heart of it they really don't want to be rejected they don't want to hear that word no yeah most of us can relate to that yes yeah I think the interesting thing that I find is that I work more with, I do do some work with corporates, but more with uh, entrepreneurs and speakers. And most of the time people I think don't realize that whatever you're doing, you're in the process or your job is to sell the thing you're doing in whatever way, whether you're internal in a company and you're, you know, starting a project up, 
whatever it is, you have to sell, your, whether it's your ideas, whether it's a product, whether it's a service. And I don't think people get that no. because of our sort of conditioning around sales. Is that, is that something, you know, people just oblivious to this in some respects? Yeah, I think, I think the word selling doesn't help because it brings mm. such a kind of visceral emotional response when you, you know, you, you're being asked to sell an idea or convince somebody about something. The minute the word selling is used, it freaks people out. Mm. So, you know, for us, it's often getting people to get their heads around that they do need to persuade people. And mm. if you're a team leader, or you're a manager, you, you're going to need to bring people with you. And that's around persuading and convincing and that's mm. selling so yeah. Yeah, yeah i agree completely so i mean and another word that fits in this arena is is influencing because yeah. in a sense you are you know for me sales is about changing beliefs and i, I guess it because people you know you have to get people you have to move people from from one place to another but in terms of the things that you've seen in your work what impacts does people's view of selling have on the businesses that they work for if they have a negative view? Yeah, I mean, you don't have a business unless you sell. The bottom line is they sell less. So people are having conversations with customers that don't get the outcome that they need. Mm. Uh, or people are avoiding having those conversations with customers. They will do anything. They will tidy their pencil drawer if we have pencil <laughs> anymore. But they will do anything to avoid picking up the phone and having a conversation with customers. We've been doing some work with a client at the moment around lapsed customers, so people who've stopped spending, um, and there's a need for everybody in the organisation to get on the phone. They've all been allocated X number of customers to have those conversations, and guess what? They haven't happened, or yeah. when it happened, it's been, I'm phoning because my manager's told me to call you and ask you why you stopped spending with us. That's probably not going to get the company the outcome that they want. Um, and the other thing I think is that people just go cheap. Um, you know, they discount to win the order rather than know their value. And if you're working with small businesses and entrepreneurs, that means people are going to have to work a lot harder to get the same amount of profit if they're discounting. Quite a few issues there. And I guess so. also, you know, this podcast is predominantly aimed at speakers, but will encompass all sorts of people from um, all different dimensions. And that will need to sell their services into different organizations. So how can we build our sales confidence and our attitude? And, and I know you talk about voice as well. How can we build those things? Have you got any tips for people that feel uncomfortable with yeah. selling? Yeah, I think fundamentally, you've got to get your head around what you're worth to your customers. Yeah. And you've got to understand your customers. You've got to step into their world and you've got to understand the pain that they face on a daily basis mm. and how you can help them, what gain they would get from you. Pain and gain is not a new concept in selling, but where I see good salespeople achieve a lot, it's because they understand the pain of the customers and they understand how they can help them. And there's a little analogy to this that happened recently. We're doing up our house and my husband was dispatched off to an auction to buy a chest of drawers. And we'd seen in an auction catalogue a Chinese brush pot 
um, that a calligrapher would put all their brush oh yes yeah um, a, a beautiful very sweet little thing beautifully decorated and I I loved it and it was valued at 60 to 80 pounds and I said to Paul if it, I think it'll go for more than that because Chinese antiques are very well sought after at the moment it's a good area to be in but I said if it's going for that kind of price I wouldn't mind that for Christmas so he duly went off paddle in hand to, to bid on things um, and it was, as I say, it was in the catalogue at 60 to 80 pounds. The internet bidding opened at 3,000 pounds. Wow. And it sold for 23,000. Oh my goodness. Now, if you don't know your worth working, walking into a situation, you're relying on other people spotting that you're worth 23,000 pounds. Yeah. And I don't suppose for one minute you'd sell your services for 80 pounds, but the chances are you would discount it to 20,000. 18 yeah. just to get that order yeah uh, and I really think that's a good little analogy to say don't rely on other people spotting your worth you've got to know your worth and you've got to be able to articulate that to other people yeah so you won't be getting that for Christmas then no that's not for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> cool so building our worth what else can we do around uh, building confidence and our attitude towards this this whole piece of stuff that we need to do around selling um I think one, and we touched on it earlier, it's about seeing that selling isn't a bad thing. Mm. One of my mentors always said to me in a sales, a consultancy, or in a training situation, the last question you have to ask yourself before you go through the door is, how can I be most helpful to the person I'm going to be having a conversation with? What can I do that would help them most? And if you've got a mindset that, um, sales is actually about helping people it's about understanding their problems understanding mm. their issues and helping articulate how you can help them then uh it's suddenly it's not pushy it's a conversation yeah um, and i think most people want to help other people so it changes the focus of the conversation so my suggestion would be that people get their head around what they're selling how they articulate that but how they explore that with a customer so that you're having a conversation rather than pushing product mm. service at them. And you talk about this, this idea of a sales voice. What, what does that actually mean? I think sales conversations um, work really well when you work out who you are, what you're selling and how, how you can help the customer. You, you want a conversation that feels good for you, but is good for the customer as well. You've got to step outside of your comfort zone in yes. sales conversations, but you've got to get comfortable and familiar enough with a conversation so that you, you're confident that you can lead and control that conversation. And at the end of it, you're going to get to the next step in your sales process, whatever that might be, hopefully so leading you towards an order. So that's so. There's an indication there from in terms of the process that there there is a structure. Is is it you know? I mean, I guess in some ways it's quite similar to preparing a presentation. You know, that I teach a process and a structure, and that gives people confidence to speak and to do their talks. And I guess if you have a process to follow around a sales conversation, that also must help people in terms of building confidence too. I think there's a lot of similarities. Um, 
the difference between speaking is it's one way yeah and a conversation is two way but at the end of the day you're trying to get the right message to the right person or the right people at the right time so yeah. there's a lot of similarity and you know going back to what you asked me how I got into this the revelation for me was that there was a structure to the conversation there was things that I could do at the beginning mm. that set the conversation up that would make it work that would be a good foundation for the conversation there was things that I could do in the middle about asking good questions to understand how I could really help this person and then crafting what our products and services were to match the things that I'd found out about what that customer needed. And that structure of beginning, middle and end and the way we don't believe in a script, we talk about a core map. Um, yeah, so I have a map as well, yeah. <laughs> to guide you through a conversation. And that means you can go anywhere. You can go off on a, a little, little detour if you need to, but you can bring them back to where you need to go. And that, that made such an impact on me then, and I still draw on that today. Excellent. One of the things that I find has been liberating to me in terms of selling my own business and products and services is this idea of detaching from the result yeah. And I see this so much with small business owners and entrepreneurs and speakers who are just starting out. It's, and it's back to that sort of discounting mentality as well. That it, as soon as you attach, either it's your own identity or your success to this outcome, it puts a whole lot of pressure. And I think it changes the way that we approach the conversation, the tone of the conversation, our body language, all sorts of things. Is that something you agree with in terms of detaching? And is that something that you teach as well? Yeah, completely. I think that ability to stand back and not emotionally invest yourself in the outcome is really important. And it's different as a small business owner. I've sold in corporate mm. and I've got my own business. And, and, you know, when somebody says no, they're rejecting you or it can feel that they're rejecting you. So you've got to get your head around that. And, and where we're working with sales teams, I see the minute that a salesperson feels under pressure with their target, so their focus is on achieving their target, and, and you're right, it comes out in the body language, the customer can almost smell the desperation somehow. Yeah. It does come up across in that way. And so where targets can be useful because they focus their minds, they can be counterproductive because they cause people to panic um, and that's a really interesting area in sales but I, th I think you're fundamentally right you need to find a way of detaching and that's about for me that's about focusing on the customer what can you do to help that customer and I think that's right exactly having that service mindset yeah rather than I think selling's great but having a focusing on having a service mindset rather than a selling mindset yeah. it, it may be a way to sort of to get the get the sort of understanding of that yeah how can i be most helpful to this person that i'm having this conversation with is completely different to i've got to hit this i've got to win this mm. because i'm going to hit my figure or i'm going to pay my mortgage if you're self-employed yes completely different yeah different Excellent. um and there's a there's an analogy around that um you'll know i love cricket um, yes. I know it's not the world's most popular sport, but I really do love it. And in the summer this year, Ben Stokes pulled off an amazing innings as a batsman to win England the World Cup. It was amazing. He had a 
I can't remember what the figures are, but he had a target that he had to win that was against all odds. And when you see batsmen pull that off, they're always interviewed afterwards and they said, you know, how do you do it? And they say, we ignore the target. We ignore that figure and we deal with this ball that's being bowled at us at this moment. And I do think in sales there is something about you have to, you do have to be goal focused, but you can't let that overtake you. And you have to concentrate on this conversation with this person at this time, play that ball as it were. And if you can make the most of that opportunity, and you get a yes or a let's keep the conversation going, those moments start to build momentum. So I do think in selling there is something about doing the right things and trusting the results will come rather than being too focused on the results. You have to have a balance of the, the both of them, but that I think if you just get too good outcome focused, it becomes counterproductive because you are, as you say, you're emotionally attached to the outcome rather yeah. To how you help the customer it's really interesting i also use the word trust a lot in speaking uh when you go you've got to let go and you've got to trust that the right things will happen when you step on stage as long as you do your prep like you say you know it's it's interesting that you're using that same terminology in relation to a sales conversation as well one thing i've noticed in our conversation and something that is one of my big missions is stories now you've already told two stories in this conversation about your home about the the sort of pot and now the cricket how important do you feel stories are in sales conversations and also in coaching people when you train them I think certainly in the training environment stories are really powerful I think people you know we'll we'll quote facts and statistics on training because again that will get people to think but it's the stories that people remember Mm. Uh, I think they're really important and I think in a sales conversation stories are a great way to open up a conversation because it will they've got to resonate it's got to be the right message for the person you're talking to but it it demonstrates your credibility early on and if you can demonstrate other people that you've worked with in a similar field or other situations that you've worked with that are relevant to what the customer is talking about, they take hold, you can explore that. And that's a way of setting you apart from the other people that they'll be talking to. Brilliant, excellent. Well, I I wanna talk about some practical things. I had a good old route around uh, your website and what you offer. And and obviously I know we've done some work together in the past. one thing I wanted to understand was tips around getting access to decision makers. Have you got anything on that particularly? Yeah, uh, that's interesting because the way we sell has changed dramatically with the internet. That's revolutionized the way we sell. There are two choices you have now in terms of getting access to people. You can get them to come to you. And I know in your story-led marketing, you do a lot of work around how you can attract people to come to, to you through your inbound marketing. And again, I'm going to give an analogy um, because this really resonated with me when I heard it. Somebody said, you know, if you want to try and catch a bird, if you go into a field of birds and try and catch one, if you run towards them, they'll run away. But if you stand with bird seed in your hands, they'll come to you. 
and that's what you do through your story led marketing business you know you encourage people to develop bird seed that causes people to come to you and you can put that bird seed out on social media on your website things that will attract people towards you and it's interesting because we're having a lot of debates now about whether it's socially acceptable now to approach a customer because the internet has changed the way people sell so much. But I think right now, if you need to turn on business quickly, or there's a particular account that you want to target, you are going to have to reach out to decision makers. You can't trust that they're going to come. You can't rely on the fact that they're going to come to you. There will be things that you need to do proactively. So I think cold calling has its place in certain sectors. I know not everybody would agree with me. I think that will diminish as time goes by um, and as we get more familiar with other ways of generating leads and inquiries. And there are great tools. LinkedIn is a great tool to connect with people, to put your content out there, to comment on their posts, to start to build a relationship. But the mistake I see made so often is people connect with you on LinkedIn and then they immediately either hit you with a sales email and it's just too soon you know it's always described as you know you're asking someone to marry them before you've had your first date and and so sales is a process it's over a period of time and you know the statistic that's always quoted is that it takes about seven contacts before somebody would buy from you depends what you're selling and how tough the marketplace is, that might be seven, it might be 17. But the reality is you need to have a process. You need to break it down into little bite-sized steps that people can take a step at a time where you lead them towards a point where you can have a conversation with them and start to see how you can help them. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. It is about building that relationship and the trust. I mean, I talk about a process of getting people around that that journey, that customer acquisition journey. And, you know, you're absolutely right. And, oh, God, I hate it when people do that on LinkedIn. It's, it's like it really, it's just such a big turnoff. Um, and, and, it, and it's that desperation thing that's, that comes through. And, and that just a few words would make all the difference to that. If that, uh, I was really interested in your profile. I see we've got some people in common. You might want to check out our website because there are some resources on there that you might think useful. I'm looking forward to your posts. You know, that's not pushy, but it's developed the relationship further and that's what it's about step by step and that's where when we're invested going back to what you were saying earlier when we're invested in an outcome we try and shortcut that because we've got to get the sales figures in at the end of the month because the pressure's on um, and that doesn't work it's, I was gonna say it's interesting isn't it it's like almost the difference between taking someone's hand and gently guiding them versus shoving them <laughs> through each each stage it's pull or push. We talk about it all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, one of our mantras is that being right isn't persuasive. Yes. So you might absolutely be right in your beliefs that you can help this person. Your product and service might be absolutely spot on for this company, but just talking at them and telling them that won't persuade anyone. They've got to work out and you've got to be able to help them find out how they will benefit from what you're offering rather than just talking at them yeah exactly it's about leading them to have that epiphany themselves you can't you know they've got to make that decision that's brilliant it's really helpful and then one of the things also that you talk about is making the most of the opportunity what what does that look like in practice there's a couple of things to that firstly when you get an inquiry in somebody is 
you know, signalling that they want to buy. So you've got to make the most of that opportunity. It's more relevant to people who are processing those kinds of inquiries all the Mm -hmm. time rather than an entrepreneur who might be doing loads of other things and then have to suddenly switch to dealing with an inquiry. But they can process it. They can follow their process or they can take an interest in the person uh, and not just win that opportunity to speak or to provide their services, but to build a relationship that means people keep coming back to you. Mm. One of the things we always talk about is the lifetime value of an opportunity. You know, it's not about winning this particular inquiry. It's starting to build a relationship so that they trust you and work with you over a longer period of time. Um, And, you know, perhaps in speaking gigs, people might be thinking, well, they're only going to want to take me on once. But actually, if you build a relationship with people who are inviting you into an organisation, they move. You know, they'll move and you can go into a different organisation with them as well. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Around your company, one of the differentiators that I saw um, and that you promote is the buy-in that you get from participants to your training courses. And I wondered, I think that might be one of the tips that you could give, which is about setting your stall out and making it very focused on benefits to them but is there any other tips that you've got around this getting buy-in for people running workshops and courses because often you know as business owners we do that more and more these days as speakers we do that more and more anything there yeah the beginning is absolutely crucial this is a topic we could talk about all day but if you get the first hour right i'm talking about on a day's workshop or a two days workshop yeah that first hour right then People are working with you and the energy is going in the right direction. You get that hour wrong and you are running to stand still the whole way through, which is a horrible feeling. So it's all in the setup. Um, So that's little things like right from the beginning, the first thing you do is you get people to speak. So you're not signalling, this is me being the trainer and I'm going to talk at you. We don't. On our training courses, we call people participants. They're not delegates. Yes. It's an active process that they're going to participate in for the however long it is. So get people speaking early, getting them confident in the room, whether that's working with the person next to them, um, but you get them talking rather than being passive in the process. Um, and I think you've really, at the beginning, you've got to establish your credibility and help them to see that there is something in it for them yes you can't do that if you just go straight into the material you've got to find out what the hook is yes find out and get their attention that actually this will be okay i can trust this person that i'm going to be working with and i could do i could get something out of this that will help me in the day-to-day yeah i still remember going back to that training course i still remember steve tar one of his very opening phrases was if you know how to sell you will never be without a job and you'll never not be able to provide for your family and that was you know that was that was one of the first things he said to us and it really made me think and then suddenly well that's great you know you're the beginning of your career I'm never going to be out of work and I'm never not going to have food on the table how fantastic is that I better I better pay attention to this guy (laughs) there might be something in it for me and so I think really early on, you have to establish your credibility without talking at some. That's an amazing hook because you, know, you, you, I mean, you and I, we talk about this a lot in terms of that sort of desire 
curiosity, fear. It's almost like that's that little sentence has got all of those things wrapped up in it. The fear of, oh my God, if I don't have this, I I won't be able to provide my family. If I do get this, I'll have a rosy future. And oh my God, what is it? (laughs) How do I do it? Yeah. And I'm, I still remember that 30 years later. So that obviously resonated in some way, shape or form, didn't it? Yeah. I mean, that course must have been profound. I mean, it's literally changed your life and your career trajectory, didn't it? I mean, completely. completely. And I'm so grateful that any trainer could have worked in that room and, and he did. And that, yeah, that's had a big, big impact. The other thing that I would say is, in terms of going back to your question about how you get buy-in, is you have to talk the language of the people that you're working with. Mm. So we work with a lot uh, of very technical technical companies, so engineering companies, people who do things on a daily basis that I wouldn't have a clue about how they go about doing that. So how do we establish our credibility early on? And we have to know enough about that organization we always do a fact find we always understand what their customers are like what their marketplace is like what their world is like we learn some of their language so right from the beginning we're saying we're stepping into your world we're not expecting you to step into ours and i think that's really important that's brilliant it makes it very relatable for them exactly yeah as adults one of the ways we learn is through relevant real world stuff that's one of the things that's really important to me that we talk the client's language rather than expecting to speak our language. Brilliant. Cool. Well, thank you so much for those, those tips and really interesting food for thought for a lot of people. Now I have some standard questions before I let you go. The first, now this is the speaking club and I don't, I mean, obviously your job is around you speaking every day, but I don't know how much, speaking you know keynote speaking you've done if at all but I would say what is the best thing that speaking has done for you that's a really interesting because I used to do a lot of speaking early on in my career cool and then getting involved in training I suddenly realized for me training um is more comfortable because it's a conversation rather than with speaking it's one way in my early career it really opened doors and built a confidence that you can do anything. That may sound a bit pompous, I don't mean it to, but you know, I remember going on, to, on stage to about, it was about 700 people, uh, and the speaker in front, it sounded as though he'd scored a goal at Wembley, you know, <laughs> the, the applause. And I remember that feeling in my stomach, thinking, oh my goodness, how am I gonna- Follow that. Gonna do, yeah, how am I gonna follow that? What a warm effect. But actually, when you've done it, you realise you can kind of face your fears, you can do things, you can learn from it as well. And that builds into other areas. So uh, I've probably not done as much speaking recently as I should be doing. And more more video, which we talked about. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You've got a lot to answer for. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. And carrying on with the theme of speaking. Is that, has there been a worst speaking experience for you? Anything that comes to mind? And I only do this because I want other people to know that we've all been through it in some senses or, you know, things haven't gone right. And it's a good, you know, thing for people to understand that, you know, not, not everything goes perfectly all of the time. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I can remember one experience where I completely blanked. 
uh, I just couldn't remember what was coming next. Uh, my focus was completely on me rather than what, we, you know, that just horrible moment where you just can't get it together. And actually, that was really useful. And, and the work that we do in training is really useful around that because the minute your focus, I think, is on the material or the content, you break the relationship with the audience. It's very different in training because that's much more two-way. It's much more interactive. It's much more participative. But if you are constantly having to remember what's coming next or you're nervous or tense about that, you stop focusing on people. And I think there, there's a very similar experience in terms of if you're presenting or speaking, if you're worrying about your next line or the next slide or whatever, you break the connection with the audience somehow and then it becomes a downward spiral. So that was what was happening for me. I was too worried about what was coming next rather than concentrating on what I needed to do now in that moment. That experience is exactly, I talk exactly the same thing. It's about if you get stuck in the material, you break that connection, the audience becomes disengaged, and from there you start becoming self reflective. So, that sort of the idea of a map, which you use in your sales conversations, having a map for your speaking as well, is, is that's why I think it's so valuable because you can always sort of, just as long as you know where you're going, you don't have to worry about the exact words to say, which a exactly. lot of people get hung up on. Exactly. Um, and you, you literally can feel your fingernails kind of clinging on as you're sliding down. <laughs> it's just a horrible feeling, but we've all, we've all been there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, but, but, you know, you can get out of that. I think that's the, you know, it's a, it's a, maybe a rite of passage in some ways for absolutely. people. Absolutely. Cool. Excellent. Now, next question. What is the best book that you've read that's had most impact on you and why? Oh, now that's a really, <laughs> I'm looking at all the books around me. Um, I am sitting in a, a room absolutely brimming with books. Um, that's a very, very good question. Actually, I'm, I'm going to go back to a school book. It's not a business book. It's a school book. It's The Mayor of Casterbridge by Thomas Hardy, which is in some ways quite dry. We had a brilliant English teacher. And the mayor of Casterbridge is all about this guy who makes, this is a very, this isn't even O-level um, English the way I'm going to explain this, but he makes lots of choices in his life and they don't go particularly to plan. He sells his wife in the, one of the opening chapters and then blames the world for the fact that his wife isn't around anymore. And the whole book is around the choices he makes and how that impacts him but that he chooses to blame other people for that rather than take responsibility for his own life and I remember that vividly when I was reading it at school thinking we do have a choice about a the decisions we make and how we get over them then whether we they live with us or whether we let them go and we move on and take responsibility for the things that we do well, so again had a brilliant English teacher thank you Mrs Hill <laughs> There, there are these people that come into our lives that shape them that, you know, obviously we get shaped by our parents, but it sounds like in your life, there's been a few people that have really sort of uh, have had a big impact on you. Absolutely. I think, 
something, you know, there, there are several I could mention. One of my favourite phrases is when the pupil is ready, the teacher appears. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's really true. When, when you're open to it, you know, open to learning and open to experiencing something new, then, then people arrive when you need them to. Yeah, I love that. Now, next penultimate question. What's the best bit of business advice you've had and why? And it may be we already mentioned it, but there may be something else. That's a very good question. Um, I'm going to quote my mum here. She's a very canny lady. She's got lots of little phrases she throws out. So one of her favourite is, a sale's not a sale, so the money's in the bank. (laughs) (laughs) She says that a lot. I quote her a lot. And the big bit of advice, I think, that, and it comes back perhaps to the brush pot again. People get what they pay for. You know, I think you really have to get your head around your value, what you're bringing to a client, how you can help them. Um, and likewise, when you're buying services into your business, recognising that cheap isn't always the best. You know, you will get what you pay for, um, as long as you manage that. So, yeah, those would be the best bits of advice. I think one thing just on this point which I have fallen a trap that I've fallen into in the past and I see lots of other people fall into in terms of this question of value and what value you offer people often judge their products and service by how much they would pay which massively undervalues the what that is for someone else so what it's worth to someone else isn't the same as what it's worth to you because it comes naturally to you often we have a superpower strength that other people don't have so whilst we don't see it as a big thing for other people it is a a piece of massive value have you come across that completely all the time and again that's about helping people to step into the customer's world and see it from the customer's perspective there's we we mocked up some telephone conversations that we often play at the beginning of training courses and it's me trying to book a flight but it's me trying to book a flight to new york after just having had back surgery and so the first conversation is i've just had back surgery i need a little bit more leg room what kind of ballpark price would that be and the guy's just giving the cheapest price this is our standard price because he's used to having conversation after conversation where people are looking for the cheapest price and I'm going yeah but I need more leg room because I don't want to get off the flight and not be able to walk and he just doesn't get it at all he's going cheapest and then the people that I did call that got it straight away immediately they said you don't want to get off the flight in New York and not be able to walk do you or be on painkillers for days okay let's see what's available And they stepped into my world and actually they gave me three choices on price. And guess what? I didn't go for the cheapest because a holiday to New York, I wanted to make the most of that experience and having a bad back wasn't part of that. So I think the more we can see things from a customer's perspective rather than our own, the better. I love that. Another story. Like it. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Right. Last question then. Um, If you could have... A mentor they can be alive or dead fictional or non-fictional who would you choose and why oh my goodness I'm gonna go Andrew Strauss oh, okay who, I don't know. <laughs> so Andrew Strauss was the captain of the England cricket team he became director of cricket 
and took the one day team, although I'm a test match fan rather than a, a one day uh, cricket fan, he took them through an amazing change in terms of their approach. And when you read his autobiography, he really got his head round leadership and what it means to bring people with you and to be meticulous about planning and organisation. Fascinating man. He also, very sadly, his wife died last year of cancer and he set up the Ruth Strauss Foundation. Last year, Lords was painted red um, in her honour to raise funds. And he talks, there's a great, I think you can still get it on the BBC, there's a podcast um, with him speaking with Glenn McGrath, who was a bowler for Australia, whose wife died of breast cancer. And Jonathan Agnew, who's a commentator, um, whose wife was diagnosed with breast cancer um, and is still alive. But they talk about the impacts of death. Mm. Um, and he did a lot of work. His wife sounds an amazing woman. She insisted that they developed a relationship with their bereavement counsellor before she died so that her children would know where to go and have that relationship established. And the Ruth Strauss Foundation is all about bereavement counselling and raising funds for that. But to listen to him speak, he's one of the most articulate people that I've listened to and he keeps it simple. That's what's so good about listening to him. There's a lot of sound advice that isn't flowered up. It just is very simple, very straightforward. And I love that in a communicator. Yeah, definitely, definitely. How did you get into this cricket love of cricket? You know, did you did you play it? What I just it's not I really want to understand this cricket thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was my grandmother loved it and it used to be on the BBC when I was growing up and I used to go and stay with her in the summer holidays because that was the childcare. Mum and dad both worked. And it was always, we got our chores done and then we sat down to cricket. And so the rest of the day was kind of just watching cricket. And I know people, it's Marmite, people love it or hate it, but I absolutely adore it. And there are a lot of parallels in the sport between cricket and between selling as well. You know, it's a target focused sport. You've got to do, you've got to bat every ball. There is a lot of similarities, a lot of analogies that come out of it. And and you learn every time you watch something you learn from it i love it wow and you take a picnic to watch it you know <laughs> there are meal breaks what's not to love i've got a cricket memory so i used to actually when i was at primary school i i was a bit of a tomboy and i used to ask to play sports with the boys rather than the girls so i did play netball in winter but i played cricket for in the summer and i played cricket for the school team and I remember being last bat in which is a sign of perhaps how good I was last bat in and all I had to do was just block it and I can't do that so I went for it got bowled out and we lost the match and I just like <laughs> I, mean, I still love I love I love playing it yeah uh, but I, I don't watch it so much but yeah that's fascinating that uh, but, but the parallel there with selling would be you know, sometimes you need to do things that are different to what come naturally to you. And you, 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 know, you need to learn another skill, which is going to, you know, save that match, even though it's not in your comfort zone. Yeah. I've never played it. I went to an all-girls school and we had to play hockey. I asked them to play. 
if we could learn cricket, but young young girls didn't do that. So uh, I didn't. never too late, Diane. No, I know there is a there is a very good ladies cricket team apparently here. So yeah. perhaps. Yes, good. Well, listen, thank you so much uh, for sharing all of that stuff today. There's some brilliant uh, tips, as I said, for people to take away and help with their sales journey that they need to do for themselves and their speaking and their business, whatever. So we appreciate that. Is there anything else that you can think of that you might need to say to call this complete? Yeah, what I would say is every time you have a conversation with a customer is just to sit back and reflect. We tend to live really full-on lives these days. And I think the training we do is often about creating the space for people to think. So when you have a conversation with a customer, take some time out and think, what worked well in that? What questions worked well? What got them thinking? What questions didn't work so well? How could I rephrase that so that would work better next time? And that's how you'll build your process. And that's what you, I mean, that's what you do on your training. That's what we do. It's always about moving forward Mm. and taking the time to do that. Think about the beginning. Really establish your credibility early on in the beginning of a conversation. But make the focus about the customer um, at the beginning. You know, ask questions, be really interested in the customer. And then Kenneth Branagh says, you can't be so humble that you can't, perform which is a great phrase that I love Um, you do then need to talk with confidence about your products and services and that that's that part needs crafting you need to really work at that uh, and that will come over a period of time brilliant thank you in the prep I would say oh I absolutely believe in that yeah definitely and where can people find out more about intelligent dialogue about what you do how to if they want to bring you in to work with their company or where's the best place to go the website's a good place to start intelligentdialogue.com and there's a lot of resources on there so if people are customer facing or manage people who are customer facing there's a there's a resource center that's got lots of tips and ideas and there's a contact us form uh, through the website and if people want to connect with you on linkedin not to sell people, not to sell, no. but to say, no. <laughs> say it, build that relationship. You're on LinkedIn as well, aren't yeah, you? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a very good idea. Good. Okay. So just look for Diane Bannister and I'll put a link in the show notes as well to the, to the website and to LinkedIn. I was going to say there's only one in, in, in Bannister. People spell Bannister with two N's usually. So okay. um, search it with one N. Diane Bannister with one end. Brilliant. Smashing, thank you so much. Have a, a great rest of your day. Thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it, Diane. My pleasure. Good to talk to you, Sarah. Diane is a lady who knows her stuff and she's helped so many companies massively increase their sales and revenue. And I hope the tips she shared will help you increase yours. Notice I didn't say bottom line there. Because if you're anything like me, after Christmas, your bottom line doesn't need any more uh, growing. It needs reducing. Anyway, if you have a company that you want to grow, then make sure you go and check out Diane's company, Intelligent Dialogue, and go and say hi to her on LinkedIn. Well, that's it for another week. If you try out some of these tips, let me or Diane know how you get on. And don't forget, as ever, to grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Bye-bye. If you want to discover how to create a killer pitch that makes you or your business stand out from the crowd, then you'll want to grab your copy of my book, 
straight to the top. It will help you clarify your USP, your business story, who your target market is and what will make them buy. You'll discover how to get the edge on the competition and position your offer for success. You'll also get proven elevator and investor pitch frameworks to use for maximum impact. To get the book for free plus lots of extra bonuses, you just pay shipping and handling, go to standoutpitch.com today.